0: The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the Golden Age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. that music it's a favorite of our guest today for over two decades our guest has consulted on various motion pictures television and theatrical projects he's been an associate producer on feature films he's worked at film festivals and he's contributed to many books uh, in the area of the James Bond films he is in fact one of the experts that the media turns to for comment on all things bond Uh, recently he co-wrote a fascinating and best-selling book on the Bond films called Some Kind of Hero, which I just actually recently complete, uh, completed. It, it's mandatory reading for all James Bond fans. Anyway, without any further ado, uh, please join me in welcoming to the program A.J. Chowdhury. Hi, A.J. Claire.
1: Hello, Frank. Thank you for that introduction. Yes, uh, I co-wrote Some Kind of Hero with Matthew Field, and we, we hope it's uh, found a place in Bond fans' hearts because we are ourselves big Bond fans, so we wanted mm. to write something, a love letter to the Bond series, a biography to the Bond series.
0: Uh, yeah. Yes, and we will we will talk more about that as the program goes on. Uh, but that's not the only reason why I wanted you on, too. It's just I, I think you're more than qualified to talk about the uh, – the background on on things uh, uh, for music and the Bond films and things of of the sort. Um, But before we get into that, uh, what I typically like to do with our guests is uh, learn a little bit about them outside of their uh, passion for music and and Bond and just learn a little bit more about them, the person, you know, where you grew up, family, things that you did in your early years, stuff like that. Just kind of give us a little background.
1: Uh, well, Frank, I was born in London and uh, grew up in a suburb of London, Harrow, where incidentally James Bond went to school. Uh, uh-huh. Not James Bond, but the ornithologist James Bond went to a famous public <laughs> school, uh, Harrow, which is often twinned with Eton, which is where the fictional James Bond started school. Uh-huh. And I read law in London and it uh, in the Netherlands and um, got involved as a media lawyer, which is where I've practised my furrow for many years. Um, and I became a Bond fan at an early age. I was in holiday North Wales. And on a rainy day in August 1977, my parents took uh, myself and I have an older brother and a twin brother. We went to see this motion picture in the cinema and it was amazing. From the uh, Lotus to Luxor to the Liparus, <laughs> I was held captive. Roger Moore was my kind of hero he was uniquely urbane, uniquely funny, uniquely British. And uh, I just was captivated. Uh, the gadgets, the girls, the glamour, and uh, most importantly, the music. And Marvin um, mm. Marvin's score, that Bond 77 score, was instantly captivating. And to this day, when I see the movie, I always remember that string shimmer just as Bond is skiing down the mountain just before he sort of pivots and kills the Russian agent. There's a, there's a string sting and it just to this day brings out the joy for me of Bond and the, the excitement and the thrill. And I think the music is a huge part of the appeal and excitement of a James Bond experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was once said that John Barry's music is to change Bond what hails to Samson, and I absolutely <laughs> agree with that.
0: Well, you've done a great job with uh, explaining the first cue that was on your list that we're going to uh, explore today. Uh, that's from The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, it's a track called Bond 77, and as uh, AJ pointed out, uh, primarily this is what's used during the pre-credit sequence uh, with the ski chase, so... This is written by Marvin Hamlish. Let's uh, let's go ahead and sit back and have a listen. This is Bond 77 from the Spy Who Loved Me, written by Marvin Hamlish.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So did you, are you into uh, film music uh, outside of
1: James Bond films as well?
0: I mean, did this captivate your interest to, to where it broadened out beyond the series?
1: I think it probably did, Frank. I mean, I'm a, big, I'm a huge movie goer. So I'm involved in the industry to some extent. And yes, I love the scores by, you know, uh, John Barry, Jerry Goldsmith, um, mm. Mark was a great composer. I love the, the scores. The, of course, John Williams, uh, uh, George Fenton. Um, I love scores that are melodic and tuneful. Uh, uh, Henry Mancini, mm. where they have some themes. I think it's an old-fashioned way of scoring movies now. It's it's obviously gone. The picture industry has changed. The requirements have changed. So sometimes I long for those scores of yesterday year. Uh, But there's new music too. Hans Zimmer, of course, is terrific. And I love A.R. Rahman, Alexandre Desplat, all these chaps. David Arnold, of course, did some great work outside his Bond. Um, And I think um, Johnny Greenwood, He's a great composer. Uh, so I think the, the way, rather like lots of things, move, things move on, but I, those chaps from yesteryear are probably where my heart resides.
2: Yeah,
0: I miss it too. Um, speaking of which, uh, the next cue that you had chosen, I think as a melody, uh, as a major component of it, uh, this is a it's a cue from, uh, from Honor majesty Majesty's Secret Service called Try, and it's not something that's very prominent in the film. You wouldn't unless you were a fan, you may not even notice it. But tell me why it was something that you uh, felt was important to add to your list today.
1: Well, when we speak about James Bond music, we have to start effectively with John Barry. Uh, I I know we've started with Marvin Hamlisch, but that was (laughs) in Bond. But the real start should begin with John Barry. John Barry is, is, is such a wonderful composer for lots of reasons. His melody, his sophistication, it encapsulates the world of Ian Fleming's Bond, and mm. this track uh, Majesty Secret Service. And I've, I've requested the 1970 cut from his album, Ready When You Are, JB, because I just like this like shimmer that has. And that, that gives us all we need to know about Bond, the million dollar Mickey Mouse music. But it also mm-hmm. has a sophisticated urge to it. Uh, John Barry composed a lot from his own self, his inner core, his inner tide. And I think music like this Encapsulates him. He himself was a sophisticated, urbane man about the world, a kind of quasi James Bond. I think for the early Bond films, there are three artists whose work transcended the medium John Barry, uh, the composer, uh, the designer Ken Adam, mm. and the little designer Maurice Binder. All these are p- huge artists of the pop culture and whose work, when we see it, exists for them, not beyond, way beyond Bond.
0: Yeah, no, good points, all of them. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going Well, let's just play the cue first. I'll get into something else here a little bit later. So this is, this is from the film Honor, Majesty, Secret Service. Uh, the track is called Try, and it's uh, written by my guest and my favorite composer, John Barry. Mm-hmm. probably impossible to say but i'll ask it anyway do you have a do you have one bond score in particular that you like over over others
1: goodness me one bond score um the cliche would be on our majesty's secret service uh, true but i think Diamonds Are Forever score by John Barry, the following, is hugely underrated. I love that kind of jazzy American flair. Diamonds Are Forever was something that encapsulated a certain period. And John Barry's work throughout that period was amazing. Mm. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever is obviously, I think, an underrated score. But I really love The Living Daylights, his last Bond score, where he sort of re- re excited himself, re-engineered himself. And that's a sentimental favorite because The Living Daylights is one of my favorite James Bond pictures. But yeah, I I know I have have fudged the question, but yeah, those
0: three. Yeah, it's almost impossible, but I think that's a great way to break it down. And yeah, The Living Daylights, not only his last Bond film, but uh, his only appearance in a James Bond film, which was really fun. That was great to see that. Um, Now we come to, how do I say this? The most unusual and surprising uh, choice of a cue coming from a James Bond fam. So I'm I'm, I'm fascinated to hear why you wanted to include this uh, on your list of favorites. And I apologize to those who may like it. but It (laughs) it was really it was something that a lot of fans had a a very violent reaction to. Uh, We're talking about the GoldenEye, uh, the composer, Eric Serra, and the cue in particular, because there are some things I like in that score. But the One you chose was A Pleasant Drive in St. Petersburg, which has a fascinating story in and of itself. But uh, tell me a little bit about why you wanted to include that on your list.
1: Well, uh, mind is like parachute, Frank, function best when open. Yeah. And one of the key things about being a huge John Barry fan is that sometimes one's a little bit blinded to other things. I'm a great music fan as well, in general, and I buy music outside Bond and soundtracks and stuff generally. And I think one of the key things about John Barry's sound was he was always contemporary. And the Bond films without him always included a kind of up, modern take on Monty Norman's Bond theme. George Martin had his wonderful 1970 version of Bond, the Bond theme, what I call Bond 73. We've heard Bond 77, Marvin Hamlish's mm-hmm. B.G. Spy Inspire, I think. I think Bill Conti's Q a Submarine was Bond 81. And for the first Bond film in six years in 1995, Eric Serra's... Uh, Bond 95, I think, was this track that unfortunately they did not use in the movie. I know it's controversial, but I love the modern sounds. I love the modern signings. I think when you play it on the movie, it's much better than the John Altman reorchestration. Not because the Altman reorchestration was bad. It's just that this encapsulated the time. Sarah had done some really good composing work with Luke Besson, mm. and I think there's it's a problem with with understanding his work in the context. And uh, Matthew Field and I had the privilege of interviewing Besson uh, when he talked about the process of doing a Bond score and the challenges of it. And I think the challenge of doing a Bond score, I like the challenge of a Bond singer, or even a Bond movie, to innovate and dig of something fresh, yet stay traditional. Many people felt this cue was not traditional enough, but I really like it for its own things. I like it for its zeitgeistiness, and I like it for the fact that it wasn't on the movie now. I'm probably being a little bit perverse, but when you listen to it with the music, and you're part of the modern music world, you know, then I think it works really well. And I just sometimes urge people to listen to it a little bit more. I totally understand why they went the more traditional route bond had been away for some time but right now in the with the penitent of hindsight i really like this cue and want to give the underrated uh, children a little bit of a shout out
0: <laughs> you've, you've certainly piqued my curiosity now i will have to uh, to go back and, and maybe mute the sound on the movie and play this track over it and uh, try to understand what you're what you're saying there because it it can really change it you know as a as a standalone piece of music if it wasn't connected with a bond film i'd probably actually kind of like it and maybe it's just because it didn't really fit for me but now you've uh, you've prompted me to go and check it out and give it a second chance which i will do but let's have our listeners give a chance to it right now the cue is called a pleasant drive in saint petersburg it's from the movie golden eye and it's written by composer eric sarah How was it that you got into the uh into the film industry because it, if, if i read everything correctly about your background you i guess you have a uh, are you a lawyer or or uh, or you have a, a law degree i take it um so how did it with that kind of a education and background how did you all of a sudden get uh, mixed into the uh, the film industry and doing some of the things that you do now
1: um uh- Frank, there's a close association with the unholy trinity in business, a lawyer, a banker, an accountant,
2: hmm. and
1: dominate the film industry. Um, I, I, I was a practicing lawyer in, in the city, and I slowly got involved in the media. I did a, a, a bit of a consultancy advice for Sony Pictures during the Kevin McClory trial. I've... Uh, oh, wow. I, yeah i raise money for low budget british pictures i do rights i do all sorts of things to get a picture to the point where it's investable into i read material all the time i work with people who've been involved in the industry and it's a it's that most of the people who set up movies are lawyers accountants and bankers so it's a (laughs) most producers michael wilson for example started as a lawyer. but, you know, it's, 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 it's not entirely a, a separate thing. And I, I got involved in in the West End, usually in European and, and, and British tax shelter movies. So I'm not big time Hollywood at all. Um, I, I wish I could say I'm sitting here chomping a cigar while speaking to you, but I'm not, <laughs>
2: unfortunately.
1: But it, it's an interesting worldview. And that's got me involved in various low budget pictures and small pictures and not just the uh, um, um movies but theatrical plays music industry all sorts of things like that and okay
0: let's let's get back to some cues again i'm going to play a few back-to-back here uh all connected to to john barry this time um the cues i'm talking about one is from the living daylights muhajidin and opium which is a favorite of mine as well but also we're going to play back-to-back um uh, two cues that are related, I guess, is the best way to say it, to, to honor Majesty's Secret Service. Who will buy my yesterday's the first one, and the second cue being a, a a song that we're gonna play that's called The More Things Change. So, would you talk us through this a little bit, AJ? Maybe first talk about the the Living Daylights cue, a little bit about why that made your list, and then we'll go into the the Majesty's cues.
1: Well, I'd said before that The Living Daylights was the the last John Barry score for a Bond picture. As you said, he appears in it. And it's just a magnificent piece of film composing. And this piece is stately John Barry. This is John Barry accumulating years of loss and learning and love. And it's a yearning, wonderful track. Works beautifully in the picture. It's Mm. a swinging wonderful late period John Barry and it's the last the Bond films are blessed to have this and this cue works beautifully um and it's sort I of le- it sort of leads into kind of the sentiment of who will buy my yesterdays because in a way we mourn John Barry we mour- mourn his loss and and what he did with that was he he encapsulated the yearning and the loss of time and the kind of the the kind of bittersweetness of of James Bond the world and and his music and kind of John Barry for a lot of listeners and for me is the soundtrack to my life and now I'm sort of reaching nearly 50 years old and I I can listen to these songs and reminisce and feel all sorts of things that have become personal to my life Mm. and It's a beautiful cue and the more things change, which was sort of has its roots in this cue um, with a lyric by Hal David and sung by Nina, rather like the two cues, um, Do You Know How Christmas Trees Are Grown? Um, was uh, a lost Bond song and I'm very interested in lost Bond songs and cues that were legitimately written for Bond film but for some reason or other not included um, rather like um, the David Arnold song I Will Return which he wrote for Die Another Day which only the uh, the melody survives in the movie uh, Radiohead Spectre song which was a beautiful song, which in our book, when we speak to um, uh, Sam Mendes uh, in Some Kind of Hero, he talks about how he and Daniel really were Radiohead fans. They really wanted that song. And at some point it existed in the movie, as long as the Sam Smith song. And for some reason they couldn't put it all in there. And Mm -hmm. I find fascinating that um, we've seen Billie Eilish hit number one, and she's this wonderful singer for No Time to Die, unfortunately delayed at the moment, but the list of people who don't do Bond songs is always as interesting as the people that do. And <laughs> I think our listeners here who are wonderful experts will appreciate the kind of the folds lost in the continuity of time. So that's why these cues are there.
0: All right. Well, let's let's have a, a listen for ourselves. Uh, Muhajideen and Opium. I don't even know if I said that right, but I'm, <laughs> I did my best on it. That's from the Living Daylights. Who will buy my yesterdays? From uh, Majesty's Secret Service, and the more things change kind of unofficially for Majesty's but never really used. Uh, some really nice cues that I think you'll uh, enjoy and give you a good flavor of some of the different styles and things that John Barry can do. So let's sit back and have a listen to these three cues. Again, all written by John Barry. Mm-hmm.
3: We'll still be touching
0: films changed over the years now you you came in in the middle just based on your age you kind of started with the movies in the in the mid to late 70s and then i guess you know you caught up with the earlier ones later but in your view how have those how has the film series changed and for that matter do you think it's you know for the better or for the worse
1: um as a Bond fan, I love to see the Bond films continue to be successful and to have engagement audiences worldwide, not only uh, box office, but culturally as well. And we all have a certain point where, you know, maybe we get Bond fatigue, we grow over it, we don't like the casting, we don't like this, or you stick with it. I think the Bond films to have continued, produced by the same family, and to have the level of success they've got with Daniel Craig is a huge feat. And I think the Bond films have to evolve because filmmaking rather like we talked about soundtracks have changed or film posters. They have to do different things. They have to do different work. So Bond film screenplay today has to carry a deeper, richer psychological story. all the stunts and ideas have been used. They they still sort of strip mine the novels for ideas and concepts, but mm-hmm. they've got to speak to our time. They've got to speak to the zeitgeist. So it's harder, I think, to make a Bond film now. Um, there are lots of more corporate fingers in the pie, uh, but I think every Bond film was made with the same heart and gusto and freshness of, any, of uh, how they used to be made. I think there was a lot less, it was much simpler in those days, a lot less people involved um mm. but these i think it's it, it's still made i mean i'm really hugely looking forward to no time to die and you know the way they talk about a bomb from now is completely different than they used to so and i think that goes to composing scores and writing songs i mean i think you have to do a lot more different things for that i mean david arnold who took over from john barry um His hands were tied. I I think he's a wonderful composer. I I heard his song he did for a Christmas TV show called Hey Tiger, written by Don Black and sung by Robbie Williams. He's a great sort of old school showman type composer with Mm -hmm. a great lyric. And I think his scores, when he wrote the songs, were wonderful. Um, Casino Royal uh, and uh, the surrender track from Tomorrow Never Dies, and my favourite score of his is The World Is Not Enough, where he not only wrote the um, the main title, wrote the main title with uh, um, Don Black, but also the end title song, which was uh, sung by Scott Walker, Only Myself to Blame, which I think is one of the best songs of recent years. I know. Uh, David Arnold wrote it as a spiritual successor, so we have all the time in the world, and um, mm. it's mournful songs that again encapsulate the world of James Bond. The coup of getting Scott Walker, who, as we know, had some some great John Barry covers back in the day well, i think was amazing and unfortunately again it's one of those lost cues and not to our listeners here but generally it's a beautiful song uh, that that haunts me and i think it's time will come again rather like we have all the time in the world which lay dormant i think 20 30 years time people will discover only myself to blame and it will become a standard
0: wow that's 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 a great endorsement right there and i, I happen to agree with you uh, and david arnold to this day remains Probably my number two in list of Bond compu- uh, composers, so uh, let's let's have a listen for ourselves, because we can segue into those cues you just mentioned. Uh, there's there's two cues we want to play from The World Is Not Enough. One is referred to as Electra's Theme, uh, and the other one is the, uh, the aforementioned song that we heard referenced called uh, Only Myself to Blame. And they're both from The World Is Not Enough, written by David Arnold.
4: Of food. and the fool's all affair
0: you miss from the uh, from the old films at all
1: um i think i think the sense of surrealism the bigness of the sets the ken adam that that visual uh, richness and grandeur which i think things like no time to die seem to have um I guess it's a bit like missing, uh, you know, in a way we can look back. But I don't really miss them because guess what? I've got the old pictures. I mean, that's the key thing. We can go back and watch the old Bond films. And if we want, we can watch the new Bond films. So I'm not a guy that kind of looks back and longs because I also know how films are made. If we were presented with a Bond film from the 60s now, I think we'd raise our eyebrows. I also think we're Mm -hmm. more forgiving the faults of the older films and we're much more critical of the faults of the newer pictures so no I take everything as read I, I think I'm a contemporary Bond fan we start as you say I started midpoint or a later point but we go back I'm a big music fan a big Beatles fan you don't say oh, I only like this period of Beatles you like everything I'm a huge uh, Billy Joel fan and, you know, you, you, I, I think all Bond fans actually are completists to some extent. There's a quality in Bond fans. They're traditional and conventional with a small T and a small C. And I think we tend to like, we tend not to be in fashion. We tend to always be in style. And I think that that's interesting about our choice of music as well.
2: You,
0: you know, I, I think that's a very fair answer to that. Although I will say that there is one thing that I miss. It's John Barry. I mean, I... I, I And it's interesting i don't know if this happens to you but the the music actually influences how i react to the to the film in other words like for instance uh you know people are shocked when i say probably my favorite roger moore film is man with the golden gun and and part of that is uh, part of it is roger's performance but part of it's also it had a uh, a john barry score i cannot warm up to spy who loved me as much as i should Or living that life, for that matter, because it's it's missing that sound that I just always drew it to me. So I, perhaps I'm a a lone wolf on that one. I don't know.
1: Uh, Frank, I think it's a Good point you make. I miss John Barry. He, he would compose every single movie in the world. If it was up
2: to me. <laughs>
1: I think also to some extent it's it's a curse as well. And I think once one goes beyond it, I mean, I love the John Barry score. Uh, uh, what what he did was he created a soundscape, especially say the early ones where he he had. What I loved was his military motifs. You know, the military motif, the march in the mm-hmm. of Twice in Moonraker, Flight Into Space is Gorgeous, and of course, Diamonds Are Forever, 007 and Counting, the hugely dramatic thing. They also gave birth to, I think he's the godfather of the ambient music scene. So in a way, what I like about John Barry is that in a way when contemporary composers and people mix it up and cover it they kind of modernised John Barry as well and I think John Barry himself was always a, such a contemporary man, he didn't want to be stuck in aspects stuck in the past he wanted hmm. and liked people to revisit, to re and to reinvigorate his cues so, so a track like 007 and Counting, which is really one of my favourite things, again from the underrated Dimes of Forever, then when you get a cover like Jacob, uh, the other world shows that the, the you know john Barry leads and leads us into the future and was ahead of his time so i think that's a wonderful cue to listen to both those versions of it
0: wow that's what a great lead and I, I, heck i don't maybe i'll just turn the show over to you i don't you don't need me <laughs> that's a perfect lead into the, the next two cues we're going to talk about 007 and counting from diamonds are forever which we just mentioned yeah, and then the uh another one it's called 007 and, and counting the other world uh performed by a band i guess right called jakarta is that correct
2: correct yeah
0: okay let's uh let's sit back and enjoy yeah. and uh, have a listen. As as we're recording this, uh, because, you know, obviously it's going to be several weeks before it actually gets posted. So, but to remind our audience, we're recording this on the 6th of uh, March. So, we've only just now gotten the word about um, the film being postponed, I guess, if you will, for something close to eight months. Uh, You know, everybody seems to have an opinion about it. Uh, And there is no wrong opinion on this, I don't think, really. But I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are.
1: Well, Frank, I've just been doing a, about three hours of interviews with the BBC well, and Worldwide yesterday, which yeah. basically. You know, it's unfortunate, but I guess if 38% of the box office right now as we speak internationally is dormant and it's wiped off $5 billion off the uh, international box office, I think it's a commercial consideration. They, there's no point releasing a picture if it won't find an audience. It's unprecedented that a big picture this far in is it has been pulled and there's a huge amount of uh, stuff behind things like advertising and junketing and interviews which need to be there it goes but i think you know james bond has been uh, absent before um, remember before spectre uh, there was the north korean hack of the screenplay and it's been nearly five years since that picture and i guess the the time proves one thing absence makes the heart grow bonder and i think <laughs> fans know that sometimes you've got to die to live another day so you know
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, all indeed very true Well, as a John Barry fan, I'm 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 curious if you ever had a a chance to to meet him personally or to attend one of his concerts, because in the late 90s, he actually did a couple of concerts in the UK. Uh, I went to the one in 1999. Uh, But uh, did you have a chance to ever meet him or see him in concert?
1: I was privileged to meet John Barry. He did a record signing for when he did that non-soundtrack, The Beyondness of Things, mm. that uh, non-film suite he composed in 1998, which was wonderful. I met him at the HMV record shop in Oxford Street. I got albums signed by him. And um, he was a slight fellow. And I shook his hand. And as I shook his hand, I said, your music has healed me. And I could feel him grip my hand tighter. Those little hands came in hands, that lupine look. I don't know. He just gripped my hand tighter and that's it. That was my one moment with him. I then saw the concert in 1998, which was rapturous at the Royal Albert Hall, which was reviewed by Caitlin Moran. She said something like this. There were three standing ovations from where she was standing. It looked like praying. Entirely understandable. Um, John Barry's music. Is amazing and I love and love to pay tribute to some of his biographers, um, the work of Jeff Leonard and Peter Walker and Gareth Bramley in the book John Barry, The Man with the Midas Touch, which has been so innovative. And I also like their most recent work, which really urged people to get hit and miss the story of the John Barry Seven by Jeff Leonard and Peter Walker. When Matthew and I, Matthew Field and I, wrote Some Kind of Hero, it was important for us to examine pre the Bond film so we look at uh, the Warwick picture days of Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Saltzman's days how they came to be the Bond producer And I think the hit and miss the story of the John Barry Seven is really useful for that and then of course uh, the wonderful bio the, the the Bible for me John Burlingham who needs no introduction to the audience wrote the music of James Bond which is fascinating And I love how he curates James Bond journalism there's a lot of Uh, stuff that gets wrong or misinformed about the janes or music and the journey of it and john polices that and it's gone on record and really that book is a must-have and and, and certainly a key book for me myself
0: yeah and it was you know really the research that he must have done to get some of these nice snippets of information that i had never heard before uh was just a real treat yeah i couldn't i think all three of those books that you mentioned are basically required reading for this audience so get out there and find it i think you can find them on amazon uh, with no problem uh and if you have any questions you can contact me through our facebook page you know send you in the right direction i'm hoping to get a couple of those authors on this show soon so if anybody has any pull with them please uh, please help me out on that because i've been trying to get john on uh, for months and he the, the man's just, you know the hardest working man in the show business i guess cuz he's He's just always so busy, but uh, hopefully we'll find a day where we get him on. Change of pace here a little bit. uh, Two cues that aren't really related to one another, but I'm going to just play them back to back uh, from a time standpoint. But they both have uh, interesting stories behind them, and I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are as to why you wanted to include them. The first one we're going to play is, uh, and I'll have you just talk about this one first. Uh, It's called Let the Love Come Through. Which apparently is connected with the uh, the uh, Casino Royale uh, film that was made in 1967. I-, I know absolutely nothing about this, so I'm really curious. Tell me, tell me why this uh, made your list of favorites.
1: Well, just going back to John Burling's book, he, he unearthed mysteries. And my favourite thing of his was the Paul Williams song lyrics for Moonraker, which was supposed to be sung by Frank Sinatra. Right. And I love that detective work. And I've said before, I like Lost Cues. And this is a well, firstly, I'm a huge uh, um, Backrack, how Hal David fan and this was a song written by them for the movie Casino Roll 67 which well, no matter what we think of the movie the score is wonderful and the songs are wonderful and this was eventually sung by Donnie Wallace and um, it's a very rarely heard track and people don't make it but it's a legitimate Bond song rather like the Spectre song uh, and I think it's a really good track and um Another unsung person in the Bond world sometimes is Phil Ramone, the world famous producer who uh, worked a lot with John Barry. And I think he worked on this track as well. And he, of course, worked on Midnight Cowboy and um, the Octopussy All Time High song. Um, And he's famous for being Billy Joel's producer. I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. And Billy Joel, uh, in curious fact, uh, lived next door to john barry in oyster bay new york
2: that's right
1: so i always find that very interesting Uh, i mean Billy joel uh, is not part of the film world at all but i love the idea that he and john barry probably talked over the garden fence in their massive estates
2: (laughs) Uh, um,
1: you know and just going back to this is a hidden track from there but i always love the idea that Bond was contemporary because this in 1967 is really on point. And the next track you're going to play is Night at the Opera uh, or Night at the Opera by David Arnold, which is a fantastic cue from Quantum of Solace, one of my favourite James Bond films. Again, people don't really get it, but I love it. It's sort of reminiscent of Richard Robbins, the composer, the Merchant Ivory composer for The Remains of the Day. And um, he sort of is a, a, a putative bond sound and i love this cue from david arnold who really again contemporizes the bond sound really made it move it forward and this is one of these cues that i think when you're looking for standalone non-barry tracks this is really a great one
0: spot on with that comment absolutely it's one of my favorite cues of of any bond film uh, and especially a non-john barry cue It's just fabulous and i think you described it perfectly let's play these both then Uh, You'll first hear Let the Love Come Through, which is by the Roland Shaw Orchestra. It's an unused song from Casino Royale, 1967. And we'll follow that up with something that's a little bit different. It's called Night at the Opera. This is from Quantum of Solace uh, and is written by composer David Arnold. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the listening. Mm -hmm. I, you, you were dabbling in the film industry And, and entertainment I guess And uh, in, kind of involved In, in uh, various entertainment projects What prompted you to I mean this book that you've written Some kind of hero is I'm, We're talking this isn't a pamphlet This is, this is like war and peace it's a, it's, a, it's a huge book Filled with lots of information I can't imagine how much work This must have taken what prompted you to to take on such a huge project like that
1: i've been a bond fan for most of my life and i'm a accumulator of facts and i've been involved in the industry and my co-writer matthew field this is his fourth best-selling book hmm. he's just written a wonderful book on the Italian job, 50 Years of the Italian Job, which for Film Forcecans, he, he, he interviewed and met Quincy Jones and has been written the notes behind the new Italian Job reissue of that, so that's really good. So we're both music and film fans and we this was a labour of love. What we want, in the age of the internet we wanted something to be of record so we've annotated it it's over 800 pages we addressed some myths and we interviewed more people than anyone has ever interviewed for a book on James Bond and we really stood on the shoulders of giants and in music terms certainly John Burling Jeff Lennon Peter Walker and we did a lot of new material so we spoke to Eric Serra we spoke to David Arnold who was very generous with us and told us stories not told before and there's a lot of new music material there or archive material stuff we had we had lots of interviews from unpublished journals from radio interviews that were rarely heard so we really focused on that side of things um so
0: it's basically love i'm I'm just i'm agreeing with you're so this book is filled with even if you've been a diehard fan like i am uh for years and you try to absorb everything you can there's believe it or not there's still new stuff in here. It's I, I, I just uh, I applaud you for that effort. It's just
1: amazing. Thank you so much. Well, it's a lifetime's worth it. We're thrilled that people love it. Remember, we're fans ourselves. And we, we also put a bit of industry knowledge in there. We wanted to contextualize the story. Some kind of refers, of course, to James Bond, but also the heroes behind the scenes. And uh, it, it sort of a, hopefully, it's a reading experience. It's a journey. Of course, we've got to write another chapter for No Time to Die now, which is probably <laughs> sort of the whole thing in itself. But, yeah, it's, uh, we, thank you so much for that. And we're really thrilled by the uh, huge love and respect that people have. And, you know, we, there, there's nothing thrills us more than hearing that. So thank you so much, Frank.
0: No, my, my pleasure. And so I take it that a, a new edition will be out at some point with an, uh, a complete chapter on No Time to Die. Or that's the plan, at least, right?
1: We hope uh, we, things, are, things are moving fast and we can have, have a, a, a gain. But yes, yes, that is okay. the idea to be an ongoing. text.
0: Well, let's uh, going back to music. Uh, and I, I, I talked to you prior to the interview to kind of learn a little bit about this, but I'd, I'd like to have you explain it. We were going to play. Well, I tell you what, why don't you tell you do such a good job. Why don't you just tell us about the next uh, the next cue we're going to listen to.
1: Yeah, I I twisted Frank's arm here to break the rules Mm -hmm. and to have him play a cue that isn't from a movie, has no connection whatsoever, but I think your listeners would like. Uh, This is a track called Lazenby, uh, by the Boris Flats a sort of independent group it was written in 1999 by Van Norris from an album called the Torino scale little heard little obtainable and it listened to the lyrics it's about George Lazenby um, I've been acquainted with Mr Lazenby recently and he's heard this track and loves this track and it, when you listen to it it's a kind of it's an indie pop thing it's got a jive and a beat to it uh, and I love the chutzpah the hus- of hus- the lyrics and it basically says you know. You were a one-off. I was a one-off. But, you know, every few years people remember me and I come back again. And I love it. And, it, and I think any Bond fan, it's a great tune, would love this track. So it's sort of about the spirit of, of living on. And I think the movie soundtracks live on independently of the movies. And in a way, George Lazenby and this song lives on independently of the movies as well. So it's an ode to living on and continuing
0: Oh wow. Okay. okay. But let's let's uh let's have a listen then. The song is called Lazenbee and it's by a group called the Boris Flats.
1: You got a name
2: song?
0: Jay I'm curious what's uh, anything in your immediate future or things that are in the pipeline I mean we obviously we talked about the possible additional chapter into the into your book but uh, any other things that you're working on or uh, you know projects that you can share with us
1: we're working on a few projects Matthew Field and I but until they come to fruition we I can't really speak about it um, right. obviously we wanted uh, to get the, the no time to die chapter out but that is, that is in abeyance but you know The world of James Bond is so filled with things. Um, There's a great band in London called Cue the Music which does Mm. I think the best reiteration of James Bond music and they've got a concert coming out and there's lots of other aspects of James Bond, there's a great book on Ian Fleming, Anthony Horowitz has a new James Bond book coming out so there's a whole bunch of the world of James Bond is not just the movies and the music, it's the shows, it's the plays it's the books and it's totally time and also the people and the worldwide community of Bond fans that come together in london or america that too is the friendship so regardless of a film regardless of a soundtrack you know I, I wait with bated breath hans zimmer's work with johnny marl for no time to die and he's a great composer i love the fact that he's a huge john barry fan and he, he sort of wrote the obituary of john barry when barry died in 2011 and i think that completes the circle and um for as long as uh, all bond fans theme songs are and theme tunes i think have their roots in john barry
0: yeah no you're you're right i i was very excited about that choice and and looking forward to hearing it because indeed what you uh, mentioned was that zimmer actually was a i think a fan himself of john barry and wrote some very nice kind words about him um let's let's listen since we're talking about john barry to Uh, one uh, final cue uh, from his from his work Uh, the the film is you only live twice and uh, the cue that uh, AJ chose was called fight at Kobe dogs Uh, people will almost I may not know the title but when you hear this music you'll instantly recognize it tell me a little bit about uh, what uh, what prompted you to include that in your list of favorites
1: a fighter Kobe docks scores the moment where James Bond uh, fights Japanese workers at Kobe docks, and there's a wonderful Lewis Gilbert, Freddie Young helicopter that pulls away, and it encapsulates all what's great about Bond and John Barry. Uh, John Barry was always a contemporary composer. This has got the wonderful, distinctive, fuzzy guitar. It's a marriage of the, the musical and the visual. It's contemporary. It's got pop energy. It's John Barry and James Bond's energy throughout. And it's a great track to end on because you leave on a high. And um, the whole, Frank, you, what you've allowed me to do is live through my yesterdays and express a passion for Bond and film music in generally. And this if you're not a Bond fan, if you don't love this cue, um, you know it, it's one of these things that, but well, it needs no introduction to the true Bond fans. Okay. and I, I, I love the, the sense of the spirit of adventure.
0: Well, let's let's have a listen for ourselves, and then we'll come back. Uh, the cue is called "Fight at Kobe Docks." It's from the film "You Only Live Twice," written once again by the maestro, John Barry. AJ, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us. And I must tell our audience, too, he's one of these uh, guests that not everyone does this, but he actually put a lot of work into preparing this program. I guess I'm going to have to give him a producer credit or something. But uh, I know you went to a lot of work and a lot of effort to prepare for this. And so uh, for that, I'm most grateful.
1: Thank you, Frank. Uh, stuff the producer credit. My agent is <laughs> saying it's 10%. <laughs> um, you know, bless you Frank you're a wonderful thing I've been inspired by your uh, uh, wonderful podcast and I think it's great that people like you exist that really uh, focus on a wonderful aspect of the James Bond legacy and it's been a privilege and a thrill to join your other guests here and I, I, I'm truly honoured and thank you so much and I hope people find it interesting I hope I've tweaked a few earbuds with some of these choices and uh, but I I really have enjoyed the experience you've been a wonderful uh, host
0: thanks AJ you're you're very kind I appreciate it look uh, please remember to check out his fabulous book co-written with Matthew Field called Some Kind of Hero uh, if you're a fan of James Bond it is required reading I promise you it's also now available in paperback with an additional chapter on the road to Bond 25 so check it out if you have a chance uh, even if you're just a uh, love films in general I would Highly recommend as a really interesting behind-the-scenes look at the series. Uh, as they say, it's available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. That about wraps it up for us today. Again, our thanks to AJ, and there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?